it is, what's love got to do with it? And I have to tell you that it was a, a, um, quite an epiphany when I realized that my father and I both liked Tina Turner. Sometime in the mid-80s, as I've said, I, she was on the radio, and What's Love Got to Do With It came on, and I'm like, Dad, I really like this song. And he's like, yeah, I really like it too. I used to listen to Tina Turner and her husband Ike at some place in downtown Atlanta when I was in college, and Ike and the Ikeettes were a big deal when I was in college, so you and I have something in common, and I had to get over that one. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, um, we're going to be in Luke, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this, perhaps you know, is what many refer to as the love chapter. And I've used it in countless weddings. Perhaps some of you may have had it in yours. You, it's incredibly popular for that one-on-one, -on -one, lifelong covenantal relationship. But when Paul wrote it, and I invite you to hear it this way today, when Paul wrote it, he was writing to the church. He was writing to the gathered body of believers, telling them and telling us how it is we can do life together, how it is we can do life together so that Christ may get a witness. Because we are, after all, the body of Christ. If you will, please stand and hear now these words from 1 Corinthians. I'll be reading the entire 13th chapter. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand my body over so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put away my childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now we know only in part, then we will know fully even as we have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and let us pray. 
Gracious God, we acknowledge this day that your love is all in all, that your love is beginning and end and every day in between, and that, Lord, you call on us to embody your love as described in this, this passage, to embody your love so that our witness may be true and so that others may know your grace and your goodness. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So several years ago, my husband and I were appointed to a church up in the mountains. We were in a little community called Etowah. We were halfway between Brevard and Hendersonville, still in Henderson County. And, and we got there. We were excited. We had never heard of this place, but, but we knew it was going to be good. And Jonathan was particularly excited because there were only 1,400 people in this tiny little community, and he loves small towns. I, on the other hand, was a little suspicious. How was it going to be being in this place where everybody knows everybody, for better or for worse? How was it that we were going to be and exist in this new place? We had one child, we would have another one while we were there, and it actually became this amazing time together. But that first year we were there, long about um, September or October, I believe, we were told that every year for more than 80 years, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, and the Mennonites, there was a Mennonite community, and a community of faith in this little town, the Mennonites, we all came together to celebrate Thanksgiving with a worship service. There was a special service each year so that the Christians of the community could gather in thanks to God. And so we were anticipating this time together and looking forward to it when we got a letter from the Baptists. They were pulling out. They no longer believed that they could gather with their brothers and sisters in Christ, duly acknowledged, because I showed up. They didn't know what to do with this thing called clergywoman. All they knew was that they disapproved. Now, it's not my first rodeo, whatever. Baptists can do what Baptists will do. Methodists will do what Methodists will do. It was a Methodist I was concerned about. Because make no mistake, eh, these attitudes are found in Methodist churches as well. Now I gasp. <laughs> anyway, they, they were not going to, to meet with us anymore. And, and of course, I was new and I became the changing factor. I was the unknown. And so I became quite concerned. How was it that my flock was going to respond I mean, they were related to half the Baptists in the town, and they knew each other. They lived together, probably had swapped churches a few times. What were they going to do? How would they respond? Again, it was a little daunting, I have to tell you. But what was so wonderful is that folks in, in my church began coming to me and began to ask me how it was they could talk to their brothers and sisters in the other church. How is it that we can engage? How is it that, that we can answer? I think at first they wanted to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, you know. They became adversarial, if you will. They, they, they wanted a tit for tat. They wanted this scripture for that scripture. And I said, people, you can't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Baptist in scripture. I know Methodists. We, we, we got a lot of work to do in that area. And I respect that about the Baptists, but, but we have scriptures too. And, and if you go at each other in an adversarial way, this is not what God intended with his holy word. 
And so when the emotions start to escalate, when you're down at the gas station getting your sausage biscuit for breakfast with your brothers and sisters from the Baptist church, don't engage in an adversarial way. Again, that's not what God's holy word is about. It's not about escalation. It's not about who can outscripture the other. It's not about who has the, the right answer, the best interpretation. That's not what it's about at all. And we misuse God's word. If we think it's about building barriers, that's not it at all not it at all God's word seeks to unite in relationship God's word seeks to encompass all in all beginning and end with undeniable love with love from God that gives us an example of how it is we are to love each other and sometimes I know it's difficult to withdraw from a relationship sometimes it's even more difficult to stay with it Right? Sometimes it's even more difficult to stay in a relationship where things just are a little murky, muddy, and at times adversarial. Sometimes that is the greatest challenge. You know, I said it, 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 we have these attitudes towards people that aren't always faithful, and it's not just them and they in another church, it's us. My ministry began with my mother questioning my call. The longest lasting loving relationship in my life. I wasn't going anywhere, neither was she. And we stayed with it. We reasoned it out. She, she shared with me this UMW magazine called Response. I don't know if it's still published. But anyway, this story about a clergywoman that was hurt in, in a church situation. And I realized my mother was just afraid for me but of course we stay engaged of course we stayed at it of course we reasoned and prayed and worked it out and today my mom's one of my greatest encouragers the word of God is not a tool of separation it is not a means to drive people apart not when we engage it in faith because again, what God is doing from beginning to end, from initiating relationship with Adam and Eve to the very end of the book, God is seeking and forgiving and encouraging and bringing us together. And we have to engage, or when we're at our most faithful, we engage the world through this lens. And with this mindset, what is it that I can learn? How is it that I can stay in a difficult relationship, under difficult circumstances, when we just don't agree on fundamentals, or perhaps we think they're fundamentals? How is it that we can relate to one another in love? As I said, when Paul wrote this book, he was writing it to the church. He wasn't kidding himself. He knows humanity. Knew it then, knows us still. Paul knows this temptation we have to separate and divide, to, to look for our tribe, if you will. We hear that a lot lately. To look for those who are like-minded and, and to take our corners and set up camps. And yet, that's not what Scripture teaches us at all. 
That's not how we as God's people are called to engage. And Paul's overarching message, as we've said these last weeks as we've gone through this series, Paul's overarching message for a diverse group of believers is how is it that we are building relationship in love? That's the fundamental. That's the foundation That's the context to which all believers are called. That's how we begin to answer every question. And you know what? We might not come out with the same answer, but how is it that we are seeking relationship in love? We looked at the text with Ephesians. He gave us a how-to list. He says, you're humble, you're gentle, and you patiently, we patiently forbear with one another in love. That's the how-to. And we come to this text today and we begin to read a little bit more about what that love looks like. How it is we work it all out. How it is we live into Paul's mission. How it is we bear witness to what God is doing in the world in our day, in our time, understanding that these words are timeless And this embodied word of Christ, this body of Christ called the church, is to be about love even yet. And to let love bookend and inform and inspire and equip and empower all that we do. All that we do. When the staff was meeting a few weeks ago, I said, all I want to do on this Sunday with this text is stand there and read it over and over again. But we're going to tease it out just a little bit. What is it that this love looks like? And how is it that God is calling us to relate to one another? And it's very simple. Again, he he describes love in this way. Paul says, love, church, love is patient. And love is kind. My mama taught me all about kindness. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, And endures all things. How we doing? And no doubt, this is for one-on-one relationships as well. We know that. When you cross-stitch it and put it over your mantle or you get it framed at a wedding or whatever, you give it. It works. It works. But Paul intends it for the body of Christ. Paul intends it for people who have a hard time coming together, a people of diverse experience, diverse culture, diverse socioeconomic group, diverse languages, diverse backgrounds. Paul knows us well. And Paul writes to us even yet, telling us what it is to live in love and what that love looks like. And really, again, 
This is so foundational. I thought it was best to begin with talking about what love is, although Paul gets to that in the second paragraph. He tells us what love is, but he also tells us what love isn't. We can get every answer on the test right, he says at the beginning of the chapter. We can have all knowledge. We know everything. I think we do. We can have every spiritual gift imaginable. We can have faith so to move mountains. We can prophesy. We can teach. We can do all these things. But Paul says if we have not love, none of it matters. None of it. If we have not love, our actions, our words, our lives are nothing but a bunch of noise. Like a clanging cymbal. That's a good visual. We can do all things. We can work out our salvation. That's a good Methodist phrase. We can work out our salvation, respond to God in any number of ways because we are equipped by God in any number of ways. We have received that Holy Spirit. We are gifted to do the work of Christ in this world, and we can do it. But if we have not love, we're just going through the motions and making a lot of noise while we're at it. We have not love. What's it for? We're not bearing witness to the one who loves all and calls all and gives grace to this world. What's it all about? Paul encourages us, asks of us to be patient and kind and humble and forbearing and to seek the good and not to rejoice when someone else suffers. Not to get on our high horse, the message translation says, we shall not revel when another person grovels. For we love them. And that's not what we're looking for. That's not what happens. There are no tribes of separation in the body of Christ, or there shouldn't be. Not when we are at our most faithful. Now, as I've said, I've preached on this at multiple weddings. I've preached on this a couple times over the years in the church. And, and every year, every time I encounter the word, you, you know how this is. God is saying something maybe new, maybe afresh. Maybe I'm just paying attention in a different way. And this time, Paul, again, it says, people of God, we go through stages of life. We go through stages of understanding. If you remember from the Ephesians text, Ephesians chapter 4, God sa- or Paul says it's time to grow up, believers. It's time to grow up, to mature in faith. And Paul reiterates that here. He and he, we're children, we think like children. And yet as we mature in the faith, as we continue on this journey, as God works and moves in our lives and in the lives around us, we come to new understandings. And the great riddle is, can two people be right if they have a different answer? Can two people be right if they have a different answer? Where are they on the journey, I say? We come up with different answers, all the while seeking to be faithful. It happens. It happens. And so the mature Christian says, that's okay. The mature Christian is not threatened by disagreement. The mature Christian does not flee relationship when it becomes difficult. The mature Christian does not wander away when when times get tough, sneak out the back door. The mature Christian engages and does the hard work of 
relationships. We do the hard work of sticking together and working it out and seeking Christ in the face of another and allowing ourselves to be that vessel of Christ as well. And there's give and there's take and we're growing up in faith. All of us at different points in the journey. And so when I was reading this particular text that, that jumped out at me toward the end and the other verse that jumped out at me was now we see in a mirror dimly. That's what Paul says. Now we see in a mirror dimly. We don't have all the answers, even if we think we do. And we might seek to be as faithful as we possibly can be. We might have faith to move all mountains. We might, again, be prophesying. We might be healing. We might have all these gifts. But, but we don't see the whole picture. Paul says we see in the mirror dimly as we're living this life, as we're working it out, living into our salvation. We see in the mirror dimly, but make no mistake, believers, one day we'll see face to face. One day we'll see face to face, and that day's not yet. I happen to think it's when we all gather up there in the presence of the Lord. And we get to say, God, just give us the answer. Was it A, was it B, was it C? And some of us will be surprised, perhaps. Now we see in a mirror dimly. But stay in love. Work it out. Stay in relationship. That's what it's all about. Remember? The fundamental question of Paul is how do we stay in loving relationship with each other? Emphasis on love. Emphasis on relationship. How is it that we meet one another on common ground without the same answer, necessarily? It takes a little humility. It takes a lot of love, a lot of grace. But our call as believers is to stay on the journey and to be willing to do the difficult work of understanding one another, this diverse bunch of believers that we are, and building bridges with scripture, not walls, and seeking common ground. Perhaps even if it's just Christ is Lord. I heard a story on the news this week that I just thought was so beautiful. And in a way, I think it is an illustration of how we do church. There's a little girl named Samantha. I can't remember. I think up in Massachusetts, New England somewhere. A little girl named Samantha, a toddler who is deaf. She can't hear, right? And Samantha loves people. And even in her little toddler state, she gets frustrated when communication gets difficult. She gets frustrated when, when she can't make herself understood. And she gets frustrated when, when the people around her don't understand her. And her whole neighborhood is experiencing the same frustration because they love Samantha. They know that her face lights up if they get it right. And they know that she connects in a marvelous way when they get it right. And so, as differently abled as they are, they decided to build a bridge because they all love this little girl. The neighborhood has begun to learn sign language. Isn't that wonderful? 
a neighborhood has decided to learn sign language so that when they meet Samantha in her yard or on a walk or what have you, so that they can communicate on the same plane, in the same way, acknowledging differences perhaps, but willing to do whatever it takes to connect, to be in relationship, and to let this little girl know how much she means to them and their community. I love that. I love that because they're willing to go the extra mile. They're willing, you know, adults are hard to teach. And it's hard to learn another language, especially if you're an adult. And yet they are compelled to build a relationship in love just like Paul is asking of the church. Just like Paul is calling upon us to do, stay the course even when it's tough. Build that relationship in love. Acknowledge the value of one another. And do what it takes to connect, to journey, to be one body because if the church can't do it, who can? If the church won't do it, who will? Christ is counting on us, his very body, to stay in relationship to be in love with neighbor, with world, with each other. May God help us. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, you mess with us sometimes. <laughs> you ask difficult things of us in the name of faithfulness. You challenge us with the ways of Christ. And then, Lord, when we're tempted to walk away, even when that might be difficult, you ask us to do the more difficult work of staying together. Lord, we love you. We welcome anything that will help us to grow in faith. And we commit ourselves to building bridges, to staying in relationship out of love, because that's what you've done with us. It's in the name of Christ that we live, and it's in the name of Christ that we pray.